When you talk to people about their care in rural and remote Queensland, there is one consistent in their feedback. They all have glowing praise for the clinicians living and working in their community. These projects aim to empower and build workforces in some of our smallest communities, helping provide equitable care with a whole lot of heart. Thank you for having us here today. It's quite an opportunity and we're very grateful to be here. I'm Bonnie Smith and I'm Roisin Davis. <laughs> um, but before we get started, um, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands thank you, on which we stand um, and show our respects to the elders, both past, present and emerging. In Brisbane, these are the Turrbal and Yagara people. I'd also like to acknowledge um, the traditional owners of um, Manaza, where I work, who is the Kalkadoon people. So we will talk to you about the infectious diseases after hours hotline um, and its impact on the clinicians that have staffed it and utilise it. So, thanks. So we know that people that live in remote, very remote areas, regional and outer regional areas, on average have more health issues, particularly in infectious diseases. The average length of stays in hospitals are short and treatment decisions are often made without confirmed microbiology to direct decisions. These areas, rural, remote, regional, have fewer health service resources, both in terms of facilities and health professionals. They access healthcare less frequently and have poorer health outcomes than their urban contemporaries. Infectious disease service provision was provided through um, historical agreements into these areas, often um, by, through retrieval centres or single practitioners on call 24-7. And whilst the looming burden of SARS-CoV-2 provided the impetus to establish an after-hours infectious disease hotline, the need existed well before. So what benefit does an ID bring? In the context of rural hospitals, the average length of stay is one to two days, limited opportunity to give the right advice and specialist advice um, is key to improving outcomes. Um, Patrak's article on the art and science of infectious disease consultation um, states that an ID specialist skills can translate into improved antibiotic utilisation and avoidance of suboptimal um, regimens. But to be an infectious disease specialist, you need to learn certain skills and the article elaborates. So when done correctly, an ID consultation um, serves as a lifeline. In contrast to many other procedures, performance of an ID consultation is complex, blending scientific, written and verbal skills. These skills, combined with the ability to socially interact and the desire to educate, are major determinants of success. So, and you can see there's been quite a bit of research done about the value of an infectious disease um, physician in consultation. So given that we know the importance of an ID in patient care, this map looks at the resourcing of infectious disease um, physicians across hospital and health service sites. Since 2016, the statewide antimicrobial stewardship program has provided a business hours infectious disease and antimicrobial stewardship hotline service to Torres and Cape, Northwest, Central West and Southwest hospital and health services. These sites uh, in addition to Darling Downs, West Morton and Mackay, all shaded orange, pre-COVID, had one or less than one FTE infectious disease physician um, within business hours. 
After hours um, infectious disease advice at this time was secured through the historical advice routes that were not underpinned with a formal agreement, again, or a single practitioner working 24-7. Unsustainable, you might agree. So the picture before COVID is that there was a sense of frustration for metropolitan infectious disease physicians already under service pressure. And with COVID, the infectious disease delivery burden increased dramatically. So these sites were vulnerable um, when COVID came and demand from, for the ID services with the metropolitan hospitals could no longer support these remote rural HHSs. So the after hours hotline was formally introduced in May 2020 to support the HHS, again, sites shaded orange. It's staffed by seven IDs and they work a six shift week on a rotating basis. That's four weeknights and the weekend. That's five shift actually. <laughs> um, the hotline provides access to the infectious disease physician from 4.30 in the afternoon to 8.30 a.m. in the morning on weeknights and throughout the weekend. So how is it performing? Data collection from September 2020 demonstrates the ratio of clinical queries, um, those that are COVID related to those that are non-COVID related. There was obviously a um, huge burden with COVID queries at the time. But you can see that the ratio has changed so that now um, you are receiving just as many, if not more, clinical queries that are not COVID related. So what this doesn't show is that the total number of calls to the hotline service has more than doubled from its inception to now. So it's been running for two years. We think that this evidence is the demand for, um, for an infectious disease advice across regional Queensland. So people are utilising the service and they need it. And if you look at the pie chart to the right, the bulk of calls are made to the HHS sites with larger populations. Um, I might just skip to the next slide. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so um, the After Hours Hotline celebrates its second birthday and it appears to be developing well. We surveyed the clinicians that have staffed the hotline um, to see what they thought and they have indicated that it's had a positive impact through reducing their on-call burden, offering participation in an informal peer support group. Again, a theme, if you like, of this, this conference. It has created a sense of camaraderie that isn't necessarily available to people that are in remote locations, geographically diverse locations. And it's played an identification and advocacy role for rural and regional health issues, sometimes these areas might be overlooked. Um, these are all aspects that the Queensland Clinical Senate Health and Wellbeing of the Workforce meeting in May 2019 indicated are necessary to the health and wellbeing of clinicians. That document also identified the, a principle one which inextricably links clinician wellbeing to patient outcomes. I'd like to just quote from the survey, um, a response, which is that, I note how often our rural colleagues are highly appreciative of the service and we often provide advice to junior doctors and nurses in isolated sites. Supporting colleagues in decision-making and teaching them is a critical part of the service. And from my observation of Queensland Health as a non-clinical person, that is very much it. Every opportunity is a teaching opportunity. But at an executive level, the after-hours ID hotline on-call shifts do need to be integrated with the on-call burden that our physicians have. 
So often the ID clinicians will be working on other on-call rosters such as general medicine. And I'll so I am one of these rural colleagues who is very appreciative of this service um, and I'd like to sort of um, share my perspective on um, how we use it in Mount Isa. We have a very high turnover of junior staff um, being a rural generalist training hospital um, and we also have a very um, different pattern of resistance um, in the far northwest, which these junior staff may not be aware of. So we have ESBL producing gram negatives and MRSA patterns that are the highest uh, incidences that are highest in our state. But we also have differences within our own vast northwest region. Um, so for example, if a patient has transferred from uh, Mornington Island, we need to consider um, the resistance patterns from where they live. Um, but we do not need to think about this for other patients um, from different areas. Areas. So this after hours hotline provides assistance with these patterns um, and it's especially important when you consider just how vast our network is up there. Um, there are regular SMOs on the hotline which is great for relationship building um, and I found that any phone call can turn into a bit of an education session. Um, and it's also great because at times they're already aware of the patient that I'm calling about because they may have pre previously been discussed. So any changes in the patient's circumstances can just be really easily communicated. Um, they have weekly ward rounds with multidisciplinary teams, um, which really goes to speak about their continuity of care that they've established within this network. Um, they liaise with and hand over the patients to the after hours um, on-call SMOs. And they also have a pharmacy uh, pharmacist attached um, who liaises with our hospital pharmacist, which means that the information is all handed over in a completely timely manner um, and everyone on our multidisciplinary healthcare teams on the same page about our goals with treating this patient. Um, we also find that our sensitivities and microscopies uh, results can be quite delayed. Um, we generally have to send them to Townsville or to Brisbane. Um, so they, they're really useful in advising on um, context-specific care as well as resistance-specific care, um, which always leads to increased positive patient outcomes in a timely manner. Um, this after-hours function is vital. We have a high... Um, rate of weekend discharges in Mount Isa and um, these patients may live even more rurally or remotely than Mount Isa itself. Um, so sometimes we do have to make some difficult decisions that um, don't have to be made um, for people in tertiary centres. Um, I had a case not too long ago that I thought really highlights um, these aspects of the program. She was a 22-year-old Indigenous female transferred via RFDS uh, from at from Lake Nash in the Northern Territory to Mount Isa. She had lactational mastitis and she'd been on oral flucloxacillin for 10 days with no effect out in Lake Nash. She was septic on arrival. She required inotropes to support her blood pressure. We had after hours AMS input, which meant that we had timely um, correction of her antibiotics. Um, and of course this assisted in source control and her sepsis resolved. She was clinically improved. Um, she stepped down to orals again with further AMS input. Um, there are minimal medical services in Lake Nash. Um, and so we were concerned that if we sent her home too early, um, she may have a recurrence. Um, and the AMS was able to discuss a length and dosage um, of the correct antibiotics that she needed to be home, uh, be on, which meant she was discharged home in a timely manner. 
So it's a very simple case, um, but it really shows um, that there are many underlying complexities uh, in a case like this that may not be quite so obvious to a junior officer such as myself. Um, so the con continuity of care is very apparent. Um, the, the case was already known uh, to the AMS hotline when we stepped her down to orals for discharge. So they already knew what she was on um, and then what she'd been changed to and now what we needed to do. Um, and it also shows that um, timely and appropriate source control leads to shorter length of stays. Um, we had the ability to allow her to return home to country and her community, which is a better cultural outcome for her. Um, and she had a shorter length of stay, which of course leads to less resource drainage on an already strained system. So all of these important factors of this um, case study were directly influenced by the AMS and their input. Yes, so how much does it cost? Not much, it turns out. For a hotline that provides seven hours of after hours, seven days of after hours service, the um, weekly on-call hours, 128 hours annually, that's about six, over six and a half thousand hours. Um, it's 12% of the, an allowance of 12% of the hourly rate of the physician on call, which equates to $1,500 per week or 78,000 annually, give or take a little bit. It's not much really, is it? Um, particularly when you consider the range, the area, the geographical area that's covered. Um, simplistic, simplistically, if you cover the QSAMP sites as one site, for the participating HHSs, that's roughly $20,000 per annum to provide this specialist service. But another way to look at this is that the consult with an ID via the after-hours hotline service is less than the Medicare rebate for a standard short consult in a primary care setting. But it's not just cost. This service provides a model of care to many subspecialities to deliver specific services to rural and regional areas. So that's okay. <laughs> and, um, to sustain this service, we need integration with pre-existing on-call non-ID rosters. We need to be open and transparent with the on-call burden. We need the funding to become recurrent outside of COVID care finances. And we need integration with clinical patient records. This is across the multiple HHSs. But to better this service, we need more infectious disease physicians employed across the state. Knowing that the health and wellbeing of clinicians is inextricably linked to patient outcomes, can we afford not to invest in this service? Thank you. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.